I want to thank our brother Adam Davies for picking those hymns, especially that, that last one. And can it be that my God will die from me? What a statement. <clears throat> for this morning's message, I would ask if you would please turn your Bibles into, uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. While you're turning there, you know, for those of us who are Christians, I know one of the things that comes across our minds when reading the scriptures is that the God of the Bible is an amazing God. An absolutely amazing God. I mean, when we read our Bibles, the very first thing we read is that God created the world within seven days. And it was during this time that we also read that God forms Adam from the dust of the earth and breathes life into him. Then God, not intending that Adam would be alone, fashions a wife for him by the use of one of his ribs. I mean, if we were to just use our imaginations to consider such things, the one thing that I believe that we're always left in is a, left in a state of amazement. Just take the time to consider, the, for starters, that the God of heaven has no beginning or end. Have you taken the time to, to consider the fact that before the foundation was, of the earth was even laid, God was there. Before God began creation, he was just there. That he always was and he will always be there. I mean, when I take the time to consider such things as these and many other things about our God and Scripture, it always leaves me in a state of amazement. Well, for today's message, I would like to... Uh, for you to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, particularly in verses 5 through 10. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 10. Picking up in verse 5. And when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will, come, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go and he goes. And to another, come and he comes. And to my servant, do this and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. And I've entitled this message, Faith That Marvels Christ. Now here in Matthew chapter 8, we read of one specific individual that Jesus meets during his travels. And it's this individual about whom 
our Lord says something exceedingly astonishing. Something that we should definitely take heed and pay attention to what's going on here. Beginning with our exposition, it says here, when Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him, and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Now, certainly, this is a unique encounter, if you think of it, because here in our text, Jesus is sought out after, not by one of his disciples like Peter or John, or a curious religious Jew like Nicodemus. But the request in our text comes by way of a Gentile here. Our text says that a centurion came after Christ imploring him for help. Now what is a centurion? Well, a centurion was a military officer in the Roman army who particularly presided over and exercised authority over a hundred Roman soldiers. So this individual who is beseeching our Lord held a high-ranking position within the Roman military here. Now, according to the Gospel of Luke, this centurion soldier arrives by way of messengers, not merely inquiring, but urging Christ for help on behalf of one of his suffering servants. Now, in order to understand the urgency of this centurion commander, our text says that this individual came imploring our Lord. The Greek word in, uh, in this behind imploring is the word parakaleo, which means basically to call out, to plead, or to beg here. This individual came in desperation to Christ, pleading with Christ to save his servant's life. The text says that this centurion servant lieth at home, paralyzed, and is fearfully tormented. Apparently, the, the, the disease or sickness that has afflicted this particular servant has left him in a state of helplessness. Not only was this servant fearful for his own life, but everyone around him also felt that his life was in danger. Now, it is possible it is probably safe to assume that perhaps this is not the first time this centurion commander sought to find help for his paralyzed servant. Perhaps this is one of many times, many attempts, that he has sought to find help for his servant. Possibly this centurion soldier may have visited many physicians, possibly the very best that Rome had to offer. Perhaps he even sought the help of many Jewish physicians who offered many prayers and gave much direction for his servant only to find out that no one was able to help him. This centurion at the end of his hope, at the end of his rope, now comes to hear about a Jew from Nazareth who was known to perform many miracles, who also heard of the testimonies of men that this Jesus of Nazareth, the promised Messiah, 
may indeed be the only one who can help him. Now verse 7 records Jesus' response to the request of this Roman commander. It says, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. Notice how Jesus, with no hesitation and with complete resolve, agrees to help this Roman soldier. Also notice what Jesus does not say. Jesus does not say, what are you doing? You, being a Roman Gentile, you are not worthy of my help. No. Rather, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, very quickly, is, I will. I will. You know, in the original, the emphasis is on the person of Christ here. It could be understood as Christ was saying, I myself will come and heal your servant. Here in our text, it is not one of Christ's disciples who are sent on behalf of Jesus. No, but it is Christ himself who says, I will. Here we see the heart of Christ, beloved, in his willingness to help those in need. Apparently the account of this paralyzed servant moved Christ to such compassion that he was more than willing to care for this individual's needs personally. You know, what a beautiful picture of our Savior if you think about it. This is something beloved, that we need to keep in mind when we find ourselves dealing with life struggles. When we come to Christ for help with all of our hardships, our Savior is not one who looks down on us and says, well, that's life. You got to deal with it. Get over it. No. Christ is a Savior who has compassion for the distresses of his people. Christ's willingness and compassion to care for those in need is nothing new. I mean, just previously in this very same chapter, we read in Matthew 8 verses 1 through 4, Jesus came down from the mountain and a large crowd followed him. And there was a leopard brought to him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Christ is a willing Savior. Not only willing to save, but also willing to help those who are in need of him and him only. I remember in Luke uh, chapter 18 when Jesus came to Jericho and he was being followed by large crowds of people. And there on the outside of the crowd stood a blind man who cried out, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy upon me. Some in the crowd told him, Shh, quiet, be quiet. But the blind man cried out all the more, saying, Son of David, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, in the midst of this crowd, stops everything 
and turns aside to tend to the needs of that blind man. Beloved, Christ's life was marked out by complete willingness to serve and to help and to save. I mean, he willingly left the throne room of heaven to come and save his elect, his bride, his church. He willingly subjected himself to live under the law and also to endure its curse on behalf of his people. He willingly went to the cross to bear the sins of his people and absorb the wrath of God on behalf of his people. You know, these words, these gracious words, I will, in our text, are a great encouragement for anyone here this day who is in need of, of help. Perhaps there are some here dealing with distress, trials, hardships, sickness of body, afflictions of soul. Whatever the diagnosis may be, beloved, remember this, that Christ is a willing physician to help and to heal those in need. Now, in light of our Savior's willingness to go and care for this servant, the centurion now, soldier, replies, and he says, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I want us to take note of the, the centurion's humility here, here in our text. He says to Christ, I am not worthy. I am not worthy. You know, very clearly, this centurion saw himself as one who was not suitable, sufficient, or fit to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. This was an amazing expression and conviction for the great dignity and honor that this centurion had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Such humility, we see, that John the Baptist had when being compared to the Son of God, says, I am not fit or worthy to even untie the lace of his sandals. I am not worthy. When Jesus came to him to be baptized, he says, you come to me to be baptized? I should be baptized by you. Now just think about it. In the eyes of Romans, in the Roman society, it would have been the centurion commander who was held in higher esteem than Jesus of Nazareth. But for this particular centurion, this was definitely not the case. Beloved, this is to be the approach of everyone who is to come before the Lord of glory. We are to have great humility and reverence for our Lord Christ the Lord Jesus Christ, in all of our dealings with him, whether that is in our private prayer lives or worshiping here this very day, we are to come with humility before his royal throne because none of us deserve to be in his presence. We are only here because of the sheer mercy and grace of our God through Jesus Christ. Now, consider with me now we get to see the strength of the soldier's faith. Now, instead of Jesus going with him, the centurion soldier tells Jesus, 
Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For this soldier now, all he needed was for Christ to just give the order and it shall be done. Just say the word and it is good enough for him. This is unlike any other encounter that our Lord had with individuals. See, most of the time, if not all the time, people often question the claims of Jesus. Often, if anyone would even consider believing anything Jesus had to say, they always wanted him to perform some type of sign or miracle. I mean, even while Jesus now, get this, while he was suffering on the cross, crucified, in Matthew 27, the Jewish people shouted, if he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and then we will believe in him. While most during Jesus' earthly ministry demanded signs and wonders, Beloved, this centurion was content with just hearing the mere words out of Christ's lips. What great faith. This text exemplifies what it means to have strong faith. A faith that simply requires nothing more than Christ's words. A faith established and strengthened by none other than the word of God. Furthermore, another thing that this centurion soldier demonstrates is the recognition of Christ's authority. Look into your Bibles. It says, for the centurion soldier says to him, for I also am a man under authority. I also am a man under authority. With soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Here was a man who understood how the power of authority worked. This centurion commander was a man under authority within the Roman Empire. And not only that, he also held authority. He gave commands for people to obey, and they obeyed. This centurion understood the power of a command when it was given from one who has complete authority. Now Jesus' authority was far greater in power than that of the centurion. Jesus had authority to command things beyond human capability. Remember Matthew when Jesus and his disciples were out on the boat and a great storm came? And it threw all the men into fear. The only one who was not fearful was Jesus. All the men were in a state of panic. And then Jesus came, after they came begging and pleading, well, how can you sleep in such times like this? Jesus, he stood up, and it says that he rebuked the storm, and the storm was still, and the waters were quiet. You know what it says after then? The disciples said unto themselves, 
What kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? Here we see that this centurion soldier, though a high-ranking military officer, saw himself as inferior to the Lord Jesus Christ here. This Roman soldier recognized that he was in the presence of someone who held more authority than his commanders and his chiefs, even more authority than the Caesar of Rome. He was in the presence of one whose throne was not seated here on earth, but rather seated in heaven. This is amazing because this centurion soldier who grew up, grew up most likely in paganism, recognizes Jesus' authority while Christ's own kinsmen denied it. Remember in Matthew 21, when Jesus would speak to the Jews and often rebuke them, the Jewish people would ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? By what authority? And yet with this centurion, he recognizes the authority of Jesus Christ. The obedient faith of this centurion soldier prompted Jesus now to express amazement now. To express complete amazement here. The scriptures say in the following verses here. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled. And said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. What a statement. In his public ministry, Jesus saw every kind of response, both bad and good. And even compared to the good ones, this particular encounter with this centurion was a unique one for our Lord. This was the greatest demonstration of faith that the Lord Jesus Christ has seen thus far. Our text says, in hearing this, Jesus marveled. What an interesting statement. If, wouldn't you agree? This verse, I had to think and ponder. It says, in hearing this, Jesus marveled. Now, the Greek word for marvel in the original is thiamazo, which means to wonder, to be astonished or amazed. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to marvel now? Now, we are not to understand this as Jesus being surprised or caught off guard like he didn't know by the centurion's faith. No. No, because the word could also be translated to deem remarkable or to admire. In other words, our Lord admired the faith of this centurion soldier. Now, this is a marvelous thing if you think about it. That our Lord would admire such a thing. Because you don't often read in the Gospels of our Lord being marveled by anything. This is, the on, this is only one of two places where it is recorded that Jesus marveled. Now the word thiamazo, to marvel or to be astonished, is pretty common in the Gospels. It's pretty common. And in most cases, it is almost always in use in connection with the crowds being marveled or astonished by the works and miracles of Jesus Christ. 
You know, for example, in Matthew 8, verse 27, we read when Jesus calmed a violent storm while on the boat with his disciples. Remember that? The disciples says, were amazed and said, what kind of man is this that even the winds and seas obey him? Or in Matthew 15, verse 31, we read that the crowds marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking and the blind seeing. I mean, for any one of us, if we was there to see that, we would be in complete amazement. We would be completely shocked. You know, men were astonished by the power of Jesus Christ because they'd never seen anything like it. However, this text says nothing about the centurion soldier being amazed, but that Jesus was amazed. Jesus admired the faith of this man. Matthew Henry writes at this point, Christ admired him, not for his greatness, but for his graces. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, not as if it were to him new and surprising, for he knew the centurion's faith, for he wrought it. But it was great and excellent, rare and uncommon. And Christ spoke of it as wonderful to teach us what is to be admired. Beloved, I will stop to mention here that strong faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is admirable. That the Lord of glory admires those who have faith, strong faith in Him, who trust Him and only Him. And to that, as Matthew Henry states, I say amen. Now Jesus uses the encounter now with this centurion soldier to raise attention now, to raise admiration of those who followed him. For our verses say, Then Jesus turned and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Again, what a statement here. It is quite significant that Jesus would say, not even in all of Israel has he found such great faith. Because it was the people of Israel who were taught the word of God from their youth. Everyone in Israel was familiar with the scriptures. Everyone in Israel expected the promised Messiah. If there is one place where you would expect for Jesus to find such great faith, it would have been in Israel. You would hardly expect to find such great faith among a Gentile. Yet Jesus found in this Gentile, this foreigner, this non-Jew, according to the flesh, the kind of faith that he expected to find in Israel. And this centurion who though not a son of Abraham's loins, ethnically, he was a descendant of Abraham's faith. Jesus desired that his followers would take note of this example of the centurion's faith. And as I myself also a follower of Christ, I try to put myself in that crowd. And looked, as I looked over the scriptures, I looked at the example of this centurion and, and sought to draw on the qualities of such great faith. 
what are some of the characteristics of true great faith that draws admiration from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the first quality we clearly saw was humility. Humility, beloved. As I mentioned before, we do not deserve, we do not have the right to be here worshiping God in his presence. That's not our right. We didn't earn that right. What do you have as if you, that you did not receive? Anything we have good in our Christian lives, the very fact of us being born again is from a gift of God. Period. There was nothing in us even before we were born again that the Lord looked down upon us and said, you know what? I think you are worthy of my salvation. No, not at all. It says that none saw after God. There was none righteous. I try telling people, they they act like, you know, I could come to God if I want to. Well, if you could, why haven't you? Because you love your sin. And you do not have that spiritual ability to turn away from your sins instead of trusting in yourself and leaning on your own understanding to trust in the Lord. Beloved, from start to finish, Everything that we have and everything that we will receive when Christ returns is a gift from God. Our eternal lives and the new heavens and the new earth, all these things being in the presence of Almighty God for all eternity, with the casting of our sins as far as the east is from the west, guess what? That all came as a gift from God. So therefore, as we sit here, again, we have, we didn't earn this right. It was given to us, beloved. So we come before our Lord with humility. Humility. Secondly, we have to also recognize the power and authority that Jesus Christ has. We have to see Christ for who he truly is. Not some mere prophet, no, but he is the king of kings and lord of lords. You know that Christ holds authority far more than just the church. Christ is authority over all kingdoms and principalities. He sit, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And before he comes, all things will be made a footstool for him. All things will be brought under his feet. Christ is the one who is in complete authority who is the ruler, who rules the nations with a rod of iron. And thirdly, strong faith is that one that places hope in none other than the word of God. Our hope is based off the word of God. Our hope is not based off the powers or the things of men. It shouldn't be based off past graces or things, or God's providence in our lives. No, our hope is based upon the word of God. If you want unshakable hope and a strong faith, it needs to be on the word of God. This centurion soldier is a good example of the kind of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about, that without faith it is impossible to please him. This is a man worthy of imitation. And so in closing, what are some applications I can draw from this portion of Scripture? Well, firstly, we can ask ourselves, does our faith demonstrate some of the same qualities as this centurion soldier? 
that we just read about. Do you need to have signs and wonders for God from God in order for your faith to be strong? Or does the providence of God need to be pleasant and sweet in your life in order for you to have strong faith? If that be your case this day, then I pity you. Because why? Such faith will not hold up under such trials and tribulations of this life. It won't hold up. You know, providence is not going to always be sweet. You look at Job. Life's not always going to be sweet and comfortable and safe. Look at the Apostle Paul. Our faith is not to rest on whether or not life is going good for us. No, our faith is to rest on the Word of God. The Word of God is to be the foundation of our faith, the strength of our faith, particularly in Christ. No strong and unshakable faith is founded. <clears throat> strong faith and unshakable faith is founded upon the word of God. Beloved, our faith is to feed and survive on nothing less than the promises that are contained in Scripture about our Savior. We are to feast upon our Savior who gave himself for us. Feast upon him. Just like you will not survive Weeks without eating or drinking water, you will not, your faith will not survive if you're not feeding off of Christ. For he has won the victory for you, beloved. I know this world may seem like, you know, what's going on here? Like it doesn't seem like the gospel's advanced or whatever you may feel. Don't look to the things of this earth. Look to what has been declared in scripture about Christ and his promises for you, beloved. Even if all seems lost around you, even if God, God's providence is dark around you, even if Almighty God was, God was to slay you, you know what your words should be? Yet I will worship Him. Yet I will worship Him. Now I know that for some of us, there are tremendous trials and attacks upon our hope that try to beat our trust off of Christ. But whatever your experiences may be, beloved, regardless of your circumstances, I tell you this, Christ is worthy of our faith. He's worthy of it. If you think about all that he has done, how can you not keep faith in him? How can you, that hymn, and can it be that, I can't even sing that hymn without getting emotional. How can it be that my God shall die for me? Is he not worthy of our faith? Does he not deserve the reward of his sufferings? To have the love and faith of his people? <clears throat> you know, God was under no obligation, if you think about it, to save sinners. He, had, he was under no obligation Christ did not have to leave the Father's bosom in heaven to come and redeem wicked sinners like us. He didn't have to do that. God would have been completely just if he was to let all of humanity go straight to hell after the fall of Adam. God was not obligated to save us. However, once God made the decision to save sinners... 
the necessary consequence of that decision was the substitutionary atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. As one Reformed Baptist pastor puts it, once God freely decided to save, it was absolutely necessary that Christ's atonement occur. Sinners do not deserve God's saving love. It is not our right. We as fallen humans have no basis whatsoever to demand salvation from God. Once God decides to save, Christ must make atonement for sin. It was necessary for him to satisfy divine justice and pacify divine wrath. Propitiation through Christ's blood was necessary, not optional. Again, I tell you, God was under no obligation to save us, beloved. And beloved, I would remind you that our Savior, he did this now, and he did this willingly. He did this willingly, and I might add, without your permission. He didn't reason with you. You didn't drum up this great idea for how should I save your souls? Tell me. Nothing. He did this apart from you and without your permission to save you. And if Christ came to demonstrate such love for us, again, is he not worthy of our faith? We are to trust and love our Lord regardless what comes our way. Lastly, let us learn from this text how we are to approach our Lord. Not with pride and arrogance, but with humility. This centurion soldier did not use his position in life as an entitlement before the Lord of glory. A Christian's life is to be a life marked out by humility and gratitude. There is to be no pride in the lives of God's people. We are out to glory in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I mentioned previously, we are not to act as if we're entitled to the mercy of God. You know, as the great hymn goes, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Now, what about for those who are unbelievers, those outside of Christ? What can I say to you? Well, you know, it is astonishing how some people can grow up in the church and sit under great preaching for years and yet will not repent of their sins and cast themselves upon Jesus Christ. Sadly, our text for this morning is not the only time Scripture records Christ being marveled at the responses of men. As I alluded to earlier, there is one other occasion in which Jesus is marveled at the responses of men. You know what that is? Unbelief. In Mark chapter 6, verse 6, it says, And Jesus marveled at their unbelief. During Jesus' earthly ministry, it was also the lack of faith that caused him to marvel. Not that he was surprised, but the Lord of glory is standing before them, preaching the gospel to save lost sinners. He is there in front of them, and yet they do not believe. Such a thing just blows my mind when you think about it. And why is that? Well, I believe it is because only Christ fully understood the consequences of not believing upon him. Only he could see the weeping and gnashing of teeth that these sinners will suffer for the consequences of their unbelief. For they not only saw and heard the Son of God, but they blatantly disbelieved him. All oh, the dangers of, uh, 
of the sin of unbelief. And the same goes true for us in our day. Oh, my friend, don't be one of those who have had Christ proclaimed to you, before you, week in and week out, year after year, only to deny him. As one Puritan puts it, woe to those who go to hell heavy laden with sermons. My friend, do you not know that the kindness and patience of God is to lead you to repentance? Do not be like those who have received much light only to fall into everlasting darkness. Today, call upon the Lord while he is near. Today is the day of salvation. Come to the Lord while there is still hope. As it is written, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And anyone who comes to the Lord, my friend, he will by no means cast you out. Rather, he is a willing Savior to save sinners. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, but repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we... Wow, Lord, we are just struck by your mercy and your grace, Lord, in our lives, Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord, for awaking us, Lord, to the gospel, Lord. Given us life, Lord, through the preaching of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for your willingness in coming to earth, Lord, and living a righteous life, a perfect life, and yet dying for your people, Lord, so that our sins were laid upon you and that your beautiful robe of righteousness was laid upon us to those who believe and trust in you. And so, Father, I pray that this truth would be brought to great power in the hearts of your people, that their faith would be enlarged more and more in their Savior. And, Father, I pray that the examples of this individual, this centurion, Lord, will move us to have such faith, Lord. For, Lord, we desire to put a smile upon your face as your people, as your children. And, Father, we pray you would keep us in the way. And we pray these things in Jesus Christ's most precious name. Amen.